0: Finnegan and you are listening to Restitudio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Hey there, welcome to part four of our parenting class where Ruth Finnegan tackles the issue of screen time for children. Although technology itself, of course, is neutral, much of what our children spend their time doing with screens is, in fact, self-destructive and worldly. As parents, our responsibility is to bring God and his scriptures into the family while curtailing exposure to worldly entertainment. Doing so may help prevent adolescent anxiety and depression, both of which have exploded on... College campuses over the last seven years. Here now is episode 328, Parenting Part Four Anxiety, Depression, and Screens with my wife, Ruth Finnegan.
1: So I'm going to be talking about anxiety, depression, and screens and the link that screens have to anxiety and depression. We are definitely in a unique time. You know, when I grew up, We didn't have screens. You know, maybe there was like an hour of TV at night, but we played outside all day long. We came home for dinner. I would ride my bikes across town to see my friends. And that's just not the way it is anymore. So what I want to do is go, you know, Sean talked about that book, The Coddling of the American Mind. And what I found really interesting is, you know, how did we get to where we are today where... You know, with my children, even though I am blessed to be a stay-at-home mom, there's so many other kids where, you know, their parents, everybody's working, they're in camps, they're at daycare, and even if my children are home and they want to play outside, there's nobody to play with. And we have this struggle of, like, how it's different today than it was back then. So I'm going to explain a little bit of... How we got to where we are today, and then what can we do about it? The iGen, or the internet generation, which is from 1995 and on, they started going to college in 2013, and at the same time, a more fearful attitude about speech developed. Discussions started happening about trigger warnings, microaggressions, and speech as violence. A new culture of safetyism emerges. Sean talked a little bit about that and I just wanted to define what are microaggressions and what is safetyism. Microaggressions are the everyday verbal, nonverbal, and environmental slights, snubs, or insults, whether intentional or unintentional, which communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative messages to target persons based solely upon their marginalized group membership. I think we see a lot of this in TV, too, like the banter, the insults that go back and forth, and safetyism is where parents endeavor to protect their offspring from harm and in doing so prevent them from developing the necessary skills of resiliency they believe this plays a factor in some of the campus speech disputes as students are acculturated to fearing anything that may prove challenging and react accordingly so we have a culture today where people are so sensitive to speech they can't handle new thoughts being presented to them, or thoughts of a different opinion. Childhood in the USA saw a decline in unsupervised time and a rise in social media. In 2006, Facebook changed its membership requirement. I think before that time, you had to be a college student. And, and then they changed it so that any 13-year-old could join. In 2007, the iPhone was introduced. And to 2012, the social life of the average teen changed drastically. Social media platforms increased and the addiction grew. After that, they saw a decline in the mental health of adolescents and they saw that girls were way more affected than boys. Because of this, kids are growing up more slowly because they are on screens and they're not interacting face to face. Some of the positives are the iGens drink less, they smoke less, they're safer drivers, and they wait longer to have sex. But that's all because their face is in a screen and they're not hanging out and, you know, unsupervised. Since the rise of safetyism, kids are having less unsupervised time because of parental fears. Teens are physically safer now, but mentally they're more vulnerable and they're younger, you know, where it used to be like, you know, at 18 years of age, okay, you're ready for college. A lot of students, they're not ready for college because they haven't had those life experiences and they haven't been taught independence to get them to that point. So they're experiencing life later. We already made this connection with the iPhone, social media was created, and then there was a surge in mental illness and suicide. One of the quotes from the book is, when kids use screens for two hours of their leisure time per day or less, there is no elevated risk of depression. But above two hours per day, the risks grow larger with each additional hour of screen time. So one of their researchers, Twinge, finds that there are just two activities that significantly correlated with depression and other suicide-related outcomes. Um, And this is electronic device use, such as a smartphone, tablet, or computer, and watching TV. So those are the two things that correlate with depression and suicide attempts. On the other hand, there are five activities that they found that have an inverse relationship with depression, or counteract it, and those are sports and other forms of exercise, attending religious services, reading books and other print media, in-person social interactions, and doing homework. So that's something to really pay attention to, where, you know, if your kids have more than two hours of screen time, it drastically increases their chance of depression and suicide. But the things that counteract it are those activities we just listed. So they need to be doing face-to-face activities. Why do you think that social media is more harmful for girls than it is for boys. Does anybody have any thoughts about it? I think women look more for external validation, Mm -hmm. especially with their looks, and social media is so focused on that. Right. So what they said was that there is FOMO, and some of us know it, the fear of missing out, or FOBLO, fear of being left out. Girls are bombarded with enhanced curated images making them feel insecure. So, you know, they're looking at Instagram or Snapchat and all of the pictures, you know, everybody documents what they're doing now. They post it and these young girls, they see everything that they're not a part of. And they also see, you know, everyone's best life is presented on social media. You know, everybody's skin looks great, their lips are fuller, their eyes are sparkling. There's so many filters, and it makes them feel insecure. It makes them feel left out. Girls and boys are aggressive in different ways. Boys are aggressive physically, so if they're in each other's presence, you know, there's more jostling and, you know, fighting physically, whereas girls, they're more aggressive relationally and you can't escape social media. You know, if they have an iPad or a phone in their hand, they are constantly tuned in to all the chatter that's going on. And so boys, if they're, the way that they act out is in each other's presence, so they don't act out on social media, you know, typically. But girls, it's, it's always with them. And they, will, they see all the aggressions that are going on. And like, I never hear from Noah Uh, who's 13. Sean and I have, we have a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old, an almost eight-year-old, and an almost two-year-old. So we have, we run the gamut right now. And I don't hear from Noah about fights or tiffs that are happening because of conversations online. But my friends that have teenage girls, the mothers are constantly calling each other about conflicts because of things that they see on social media, and it causes one girl to get upset and another girl, and it's, you know, lots of drama. So social media, they say, is the greatest enabler of relational aggression since the invention of language. You don't have to just be in somebody's face anymore to show aggression. You just put it out there, and the person can see it, and everybody else can see it too. Um, I know, too, that my son, you know, he definitely experiences that fear of being left out also you know he wants to be on you know the doing whatever is popular or cool right now or going to whatever activity it is and a lot of that is because it's it's put out there you know you want to be seen that you were doing something the first members of iGen went to college in September 2013 and by 2017 a culture of safetyism exploded At the same time, mental health clinics were suddenly overwhelmed by the demand for counseling. And I think it was like half of college students went and sought counseling for anxiety. So the question is, what can we do to help our children during this unique time? I know that, you know, for myself, I have felt overwhelmed at times. Like, how do we combat the lure of screens and social media? And I think one of the most important things that we can do is to teach our children the Bible. You know, not only is it to have it in our minds of, you know, this is our standard, this is, you know, how we live, but we need to cultivate and model that love for God and for his scriptures for our children. It's there that we get to learn the promises of God and we hear the truth and we need to teach them to our kids. You know, that's how we feel grounded and secure because we know you know, God never leaves us. His words are true. You know, he, he'll help us in our time of need. And when we follow God, he offers us what all the money and all the hard work in the world cannot get us, which is peace and joy. And that's what we want for our kids. You know, if there's links that screens cause all, you know, anxiety and depression, this is the answer for that. Other than, you know, we have to limit the screens, but... Grounding them in God's word is what is going to combat it. You know, one of his promises is that God will take care of us. You see the quote here in Matthew 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. God will take care of us. He'll take care of our needs. And, you know, even as parents... It's like we get that anxiety sometimes something happens and you know our children are looking at us to see how do we handle it you know how do we react to these things and I you know I think it's good to talk about you know this happened and you know maybe I felt stressed but I remembered this is what God says so I don't I don't need to be anxious God's going to take care of it um, and in Philippians 4:19 it says, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. I've had interesting discussions with my children about what is a need. You know, it's like, I need another sweatshirt, another Under Armour sweatshirt. It's like, well, no, no, you don't. Like, you, you have what you need, and God is taking care of us. And I think it's good to have those conversations about what do we really need? Because if they're looking at screens, they are bombarded with materialism. Everything that they, like, oh, I need the latest this and the latest that, and I have a phone now, but man, I really need a smartwatch. And it's like, no, you don't. You know, we don't need a lot to be happy. God takes care of us. You know, another promise is that God will be with us. And, you know, that's one of the things where we are so connected today with all of our devices, yet people are more lonely than ever. They're isolated, and you feel like, not only are you isolated, but now you feel like you don't measure up. Like, I don't look like her. You know, I don't have the abs like that guy. And they're constantly comparing themselves, and they just feel more alone and more alone. And that's where, when we teach our kids, you're not alone. Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. You know, that's what we teach our kids. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So the truth of God, you know, he just cuts through all of the garbage that the world gives us. He'll give us wisdom. You know, I know there's plenty of times where I'm like, I don't know how to handle this situation, and, but God does. And he does that for me as a parent, and he does that for my kids. In James 1.5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. I love that promise, and I pray it all the time, because there's so many times where I just feel like, I have no idea what to do. But I know that God's faithful, and he's true, and he'll give me wisdom. And I always say, God, hit me over the head with it. Don't let me miss it. I want to look at what did the people in the Bible do when they were anxious. So if you could turn to Exodus 4.10. And this is Moses. And you know Moses did not feel adequate for the task that God wanted him to do. So Exodus 4.10, and it says... Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say." God was with Moses. Even when he challenged Moses to do something that Moses didn't feel like he was up for, God was with him and God equipped him. You know, we look at David in the Psalms. You know, he had, he experienced stress and distress. And, you know, I think one of the things that relieved him was that he had a relationship with his father. He could talk to God and express himself and he had days of misery and angst. And then you also see the expression of where he was just in love with God's presence in his life, and he could bear his heart to him. Hannah in 1 Samuel, you know, she could not have a child, and she prayed fervently to God. So in her stress and her anxiety, that's what she did. She cried out to God, and God heard her, and he blessed her. And then the last one I want to look at is Jesus um, in Matthew 26, if you could turn there, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you know, this was probably the hardest moment of his life up until he was tortured and killed. And leading up to it in verse 36, so it's Matthew 26, 36, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter Peter, and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be grieved and distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Verse 41 Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. In verse 45, Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hand of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. So even Jesus, our Lord, he experienced extreme distress and anxiety. And even though his friends were there, his closest people, they let him down. They couldn't pray with him during this this intense time. And yet... He just kept going to to God, his Father. He just kept praying and reaching out to him. So, some of the things that we can do at home is to build a strong foundation. Marianne talked about this, uh, you know, just to kind of think a basic one is create a family routine where the kids get plenty of sleep and healthy food to eat. I know when my kids don't get enough sleep, they are irritable. You know, everything is a fight, it's difficult. And that's one of the things where it's like, you're going to go to bed at this time, and they fight me on it practically every night. But you know what? They need it. Cultivate a loving relationship with your child, discover their love language. I don't you know, they have that book for married couples and for your children. You know, there's quality time, gifts, words of affirmation, physical touch and acts of service, and intentionally love on them in that way that they feel loved. I know that with my son Daniel, He wants to be held. He wants to be cuddled. You know, he wants to sit on the couch and be wrapped up with you in a blanket, and that makes him feel loved. With Wes, I I think he could pretty much care less about that. Wes is like, quality time. I want to play a game with you. Like, that is how he feels loved. Be a safe place where they can share their heart with you, that they know, you know, what they say, it's not going to go any further. Like, they can talk to you about anything. And... Don't tease them or shame them. I think that's one of the things also with social media. Like Marianne said, it's so easy to put everything out there, but could it be taken as mocking them? Just like you know, we would feel the same way. We don't want to be mocked publicly. So build them up at home and publicly. We need to set screen time boundaries for our kids. Shaw and I have used an app that's called Screen Time that you, you know, whatever their device is, it will monitor it and it'll shut it off when the time limit has been reached. Which is really nice because I think some of, so many of our battles are, you know, I'm telling the kids, okay, it's time to turn it off. And then a few minutes later, guys, it's time to turn it off. And one more minute, one more minute. I just need to finish this round. And that device just takes all of that away. It's like, oh, your time's up, it's just done. And, And they accept it a lot more than they do me nagging them. I think there's also the Disney Circle that monitors and can turn things off. Also, as parents, we have to make sure that any device connected to the internet has child safety mechanisms enabled so that they cannot access adult sites. I know that we experienced that and it happened. I don't know like how it happened, but I it happened so much earlier than I expected it, and I was not prepared at all. And I'm like, you know, we're pretty tech savvy. We should have been on top of this, but it was like, it totally took me by surprise. And it is our job to protect our kids and what they see. And I felt like such a failure at that point because you know, you can't, you can't unsee or unhear. And it's the same with them. Like, once they're exposed to something, even if it's something I've seen it with my kids, like it's an annoying show. And then all of a sudden, I notice my kids are annoying they're imitating what they see on the show and and then i make the link and i'm like that's why they're watching the show and you know everything is a snarky comment on the show and now all i'm getting from my kids are snarky comments so just really monitoring what they watch making sure you have those safeguards in place and you know one of the things that really irritates me is i see if they watch these teen shows i think it could be any show actually it's where the parents are made out to be idiots and the fathers you know are made out to be stupid and the children know everything and and that attitude creeps into our kids and it's just like not good no tolerance for that so i would say hold off on social media as long as you can because you know it's definitely a battle and they want to be they want to know everything that's going on, and once once they're on it, then it's so much harder to take it away. If you know you see this isn't good, this isn't producing good things, and it's like just hold off as long as you can, and keep screens out of their bedrooms. You know they make links uh, between the screens and not being able to sleep, and I'm not sure. I didn't look into like what is the time period before bed that you should stop, whether it's an hour, two hours. Is it's two hours before you go to sleep, you should not be on any screens. That's confronting to me (laughs) because I definitely don't do that right now. You know, and one of the things that we do is our children are not allowed to have their devices in their room. They have to be plugged into a common area. They, you know, and and it is a fight every night with our oldest son. You know, he's like, oh, I want to listen to music while I'm in the shower. And then, you know, he'll go in his room and, like, we have to be really vigilant every night to be, like, give me, give me everything. Give me your Chromebook. You know, he says he's doing schoolwork, like, yeah, probably for, like, five minutes. And then you're doing something else on there. So to make sure no devices is in the rooms. So some of the effects, the negative effects of too much screen time. I'm just going to run through these. But obesity, sleep problems, behavior problems educational issues, and violence. They're just exposed to so much when they're watching that I think they kind of mindlessly probably snack on food and that happens and they're not sleeping and they're watching bad behavior so then they start imitating bad behavior and the violence is a big deal too. It's like I know we've had issues with our kids, like you're not doing any kind of shooter games, like... We're not gonna shoot people. Jesus says, love is enemies. We have no tolerance for that. And that's where we have to be the example. We have to set boundaries on ourselves too. And you know, the studies show that too much screen time, it actually changes your brain. And especially these young kids as they're forming and developing, it becomes like a drug that like dopamine hit or whatever it is, regular life is not exciting anymore. You know, I tell my kids, they're like, oh, mom. Because if I get really irritated, I'll just unplug the internet. And how could you do that? I had so many coins. I got to this level. And I'm like, I say to them, that's all fake. In real life, you're nothing. Like, <laughs> you, you don't have any accomplishments in real life. You know, like, this, this isn't real. And let's do something that's real. Let's do something that builds positive things together in real life. You know we have to be the example with all of that we live in an age of media overload and it's like we just need to put it down and turn it off and do something with our family and that can be really hard it's like i know the temptation for me when my kids get home from school they want downtime which is fine but then they're so quiet it's like i can do what i want to do and nobody's fighting nobody's arguing but those minutes and hours slip away. And, and then before I know it, it's dinner time. And, and then maybe we want to watch a movie as a family. And before you know it, you've, they have spent four to five hours on a screen. And they're not developing those social skills. They're not playing and being creative. And even just being forced to be bored, that makes them invent things. Like, let's play this game. Let's go outside. Let's do this. And that's what we want for them. So some things that they can do without screens are, you know, giving your children daily chores, help them to feel important to the family. Like, what they do matters and they're needed. And and we need to challenge them appropriately to do things on their own and figure things out. I know Wesley, one of his jobs is you need to empty the dishwasher. And he's like, well, I can't reach where the plates go. And I said, well, figure it out, you know, get a chair. Like if you have to do this task, figure out how you're gonna do it. Encourage activities that get them face to face with other people like sports, camps and fellowships. Serve and help others alongside your children. I mean, I know we love coming to the work days that the church does and we would get so much more work done if our kids weren't with us, but how are they gonna learn that this is what we do? You know, we, we help and we serve people. And then they feel really good when they accomplish something and you praise them for it. Read and play games with your children. Explore hobbies like music, camping, gardening, and arts and crafts. And give them unsupervised time where they can be creative without screens. And for a while, it, it's really rough, but you know, then it becomes really fun and you can get into crafts and projects. So one of the things that I thought about was William Shakespeare has a quote and it says, the eyes are the window to your soul. So what we're looking at, what we're watching, it affects us deeply. And Matthew 6:22 says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And isn't that what we want? We want to be full of light. We want our children to be little beams of light going around. And we want our influence to be more prevalent and stronger than the world. And that means an investment of time. You know, you think of the screens, like, they're sucking all this time up. Like, our time with our kids needs to be more than what the screens have. And I also want to say, like, it doesn't matter if you have kids or you don't have kids. You you could be a grandparent. You could be a friend, a mentor, and take interest in young people's lives, and you'll change their lives. And you know, show them your skills. If you know how to make candles, make candles with kids or cookies or, you know, go camping or play basketball, all those things. So that's what I wanted to share. Thank you.
0: Well, that's it for this episode. I do encourage you to check out the relevant chapter in Lukanoff and Haight's excellent book, The Coddling of the American Mind. Uh, That really runs the stats on anxiety and depression and correlates it, although they can't definitively prove causation. It correlates really incredibly with screen time usage uh, for boys and girls, but more prominently for girls. So take a look at that. If you have your own thoughts or suggestions or practical tips or quarantine ideas, Please come on to Restitudio.org where you can leave a comment on episode 328, Parenting Part 4, Anxiety, Depression, and Screens. We'd love to hear your thoughts, what you're doing. Uh, actually, our family, this was recorded a little while ago, our family no longer is using the Screen Time app. Uh, instead, we had been programming our router, our Wi-Fi router, to uh, have a have a schedule that has basically Windows where there is internet allowed for each person's, each person's device. And then we published a chart on the refrigerator for each kid and each of their devices, specifying when those devices are able to connect to the internet. And uh, by doing it this way, w- once again, the, the idea is to take the battle away from the parent. Look, we're already battling with these kids on a million other things all the time. So to have one thing that's just sort of automatic, mechanical almost, uh, is really a relief because, hey, 10 o'clock rolls around at night, my oldest kid, his doesn't matter if he's in the middle of a game or not, his Xbox just stops connecting to the Internet. And uh, the way a lot of these games work and different things, social media obviously, is without the Internet, their devices really aren't much use. Uh, Of course, we do still collect our kids devices and bring them downstairs. So they're not in the same room. But then we've also added in since this talk, what we call no screen Thursday. And uh, we got this idea from Susie DiCecco, who was at the parenting class, she mentioned how uh, one day a year, they would turn off all the lights and just pretend like there was no electricity at all. And she said it was like such a wonderful time. Well, since then we've we've instituted what we call Family Thursday or No Screen Thursday, where uh, the kids are able to use screens certainly in quarantine, especially uh, to do schoolwork. Uh, but then after that, the, the uh, internet is just off. Uh, whole house, no internet. Even even Ruth and I, we try not to use our devices hardly at all. Certainly not for entertainment purposes on uh, Thursday each week, and then. What that forces us to do is find some sort of thing to do as a family that is not watching a movie. I mean, look, we can watch a movie anytime with the kids, right? But Family Thursday is where we uh, play games, we go on adventures, we go outside, we grill out, we uh, do all kinds of different things together as a family, and it's really been a delightful experience. Of course, the first two, three, four weeks were serious battles because... The kids weren't used to it, but you know now there's been over a year, maybe even two years. This has really been a sweet time each week that I look forward to. I learned how to play chess against my oldest. I've been playing a lot of games with my middle son, and uh, you know there's just a lot of different opportunity, a lot of wrestling in the basement, all these different kinds of things that. Uh, just bubble up to the surface as soon as you take that screen out of the picture. So I, I commend that to you as well for consideration, just a one-day-a-week kind of thing. And look, if your kids are really young right now, this is this is something to keep in mind. Uh, but if your kids are teenagers in particular, this is a battle that the younger they are when you institute these different policies, the better likelihood you will have success. But really, at any age, it can happen but only if you stay consistent. You have to stay consistent with the kids. Whatever the rule is, you stay consistent to that rule. Uh, sure, you can make an exception once in a blue moon and and be gracious and do something exciting and out of the ordinary, but if your inconsistencies are regular, what you do end up doing, as uh, Dr. Yukonis mentioned, is an intermittent strategy, which results in the kid just constantly pushing against the barrier because they don't know if this time the barrier will allow them through or not. So those are some thoughts in light of this little update. One more thing, as far as pornography exposure, I think the average age these days is nine years old. Just let that sink in for a second. That's an incredibly young age. You really do need to uh, put barriers in place so the kids can't access porn even if it's accidentally, Even if a kid types in, you know, like a body part that they're curious about, maybe they have no idea that they're like full sex videos on the internet. They might just be curious about a body part and they type it in, and boom, all of a sudden they're inundated with all this filth and uh, just objectifying and abusive portrayals that messes with their heads. So, one other thing to suggest on that would be to block certain sites. This is, once again, something I do directly in my router uh, that I, it allows me to put in sites. I, uh, I I was able to find on the internet a list of, you know, the most common porn sites, and I just entered each one of those into the different boxes in my router, and it blocked them. Alternatively, you can just get Covenant Eyes or some other uh, filtering software. Microsoft actually does a really good job with this too. If you use a desktop computer, you can set parental settings for each different user. And you really shouldn't have your kids using your computer under your name. They should have their own name and their own password. I know it's a super hassle setup, but then you can put in place these parental settings that are real helpful. We do that with uh, one of our kids as well. So just some uh, practical tips for you to, to fight the screen addiction that is damaging our kids in all these different ways when they're overexposed wanted to also mention that I've been getting some feedback on the Bible translation sources and theory research project that I did. It ended up being actually, I think, about 60 plus pages, <laughs> eight and a half by 11. Bless my heart. But, uh, you know, I felt like it was the kind of material that a lot of people would be interested in. Uh, Richie Temple wrote in on that. and He said, this is very well done, Sean. Thanks for all the time and effort you put into it. I'm sure it will provide a lot of help for a lot of people in understanding Bible translations and versions through the coming years. I think you did an excellent job of not only presenting the facts and the history of the subject, but also using key quotes or references by some of the very best scholars on the subject, such as Alter on the Old Testament and Wallace on the New Testament, men whose honesty and integrity in dealing with the subject matter supersedes their own personal religious beliefs and or biases. Uh, And then he pointed out a typo. And actually, that the one that Richie pointed out wasn't uh, strictly speaking my fault, but uh, it was something where the formatting changed when I put it on the on the web. But we got that fixed. Uh, also, wanted to give a big shout out to Ken Schleimer, who has suggested. Let me see here: one, two, three, four, five different typos throughout the throughout the essay that uh, I'm just so appreciative of him pointing those out so that uh, I don't make these embarrassing mistakes. By the way, I did have this proofread and I proofread it myself, but uh, it's just it's just so difficult to to catch everything. So uh, yeah, any any further corrections would be appreciated. As far as the project in general, this was just really phase one. I realize most people are not going to wade through 60 plus pages of technical writing on this subject, but I am going to be putting out a class uh, very soon, uh, probably in a couple weeks here on Restitudio where I will be going part by part through this in audio format and also going to do it in YouTube video format at the same time. I don't want to say too much about that, but stay tuned for more information. I've got some other content that I need to uh, finish up with here first. Thanks everybody who's given me feedback on that. Thanks to the handful of you who have actually read the entire thing. I know that some, some folks have and have written me as a result, so and I just so appreciate the support on it. I am continually learning more about where our Bibles come from, and uh, looking forward to presenting that to you shortly. If you'd like to check out that essay, you can get that at restitudio.org. Just click on articles on the top and it will be there. Well that's it for this week. If you'd like to support Restitudio, you can do that online, restitudio.org. We'll catch you next week and remember the truth has nothing to fear.